Nehemiah chapter 9. This message will be, I think, a little bit different than what we're accustomed to on Sunday morning. I'm going to ask you to really stay with me because we're going to do a little bit of history lesson. But I believe find an application in this that I feel strongly would be very helpful for us today. Nehemiah chapter 9. And if you're able to stand, please stand with us as we read the very last verse of that chapter. Nehemiah chapter 9. In verse 38, the word of God says this, And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it and our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. Uh, this is a verse of scripture that could easily be overlooked, uh, but it's, it's, it has some really important lessons, I think, for us today. I have the four words because of all this underlined in my Bible. And that's very key because as Nehemiah is writing, he says, because of the things that have just been said, because of the things that have just been done, because of all this, we make a sure covenant. The word sure means fixed and certain. Nehemiah is leading the people to make a very important commitment. We make a sure covenant and write it. We're not, just, we're not just verbalizing it, we're writing it down. You know, it's one thing to say, I'm going to do such a thing. It's another thing to write it down. And they wrote it. It lists some of the people who were involved in this and our princes, Levites, and priests seal unto it. We're not just, we're not just making it, we're writing it. And we're not just writing it, we're putting a seal on it. If someone down the road, 100 years from now, wanted to open that document up, our names would be there. So I want to take that today as a text and use that. Look at what, what it meant in Nehemiah's day. And as we go along, we'll see how relevant it is for us. Father, we thank you for this beautiful, beautiful day. Father, you know that as we were singing those Words, great is thy faithfulness, and singing about the beauty of creation, Lord, we praise you, how faithful you are. Lord, we want to be faithful to our faithful God. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for your blessings. God, would you help me today to be a help and a blessing? We know that the Bible speaks to our lives, and we want to hear what it says today. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we don't commonly use the word covenant in our culture. We see it here in verse 38. We make a sure covenant. A covenant is really a serious, a serious commitment. I was thinking about this this morning, thinking about when my wife and I uh, were, were preparing to live out where we are and build the house there and occupy the house, we didn't have enough money at the time, obviously, to build a house. So we had to borrow some money. And we borrowed it. Nobody in the church would loan us that money, so we went to the bank. <laughs> and we borrowed it. But I'll never forget signing that note. You know, we'd had a few other loans in our life. We'd, we'd only had one other mortgage other than that one. 
Um, but, you know, we'd bought some things on credit before, and so you sign a piece of paper, but it's different when you're signing for a house. It's like they just keep bringing out these pieces of paper. It, like, takes you a half an hour to sign. Y'all know what I'm talking about? How many of y'all have done that before? I don't know if it's really all that stuff in there is important or they're just trying to scare the daylights out of you in case you think you're not going to pay for it. But either case, it's a serious commitment. A covenant is a serious commitment. If you were to look in Webster's 1828 Dictionary of the English Language, this is the definition that Webster gave of a covenant. It is a mutual consent or agreement of two or more parties created indeed in writing, sealed, and executed. Even Webster says in the 1800s, a covenant was written out and it was sealed. And so I begin this message today by talking about the importance of our commitments. And we, we could go on and on about that subject, but I think we understand it. The commitment, whether it's making a loan, the commitment in relationships, the commitment in marriage. But here we're talking about a, a spiritual commitment. And this is what we're going to talk about today. Spiritual commitments. Those are our commitments to God. And if I were to ask you today, no matter what your age is, if you could just take a pen and paper and just write down some commitment that you have made to God, maybe recently, maybe long ago, but that commitment is something that you're well aware of, you're familiar with, because that's what this is talking about. We make a sure covenant. We're not going to turn to it here in Nehemiah 9, but in Nehemiah 9 is a part of Nehemiah's uh, refreshing in the minds of the people what God has done for them. He talked about God's covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham, and a part of that covenant was he was going to give them a piece of ground. And when Nehemiah wrote this, they were very familiar with that covenant. By the way, it's now been 4,000 years since God gave Abraham that ground, and it still belongs to Israel. God keeps his covenants. When God makes a covenant, he keeps his... And by the way, aren't you glad? That's one of the foundational principles uh, along with the Bible doctrine of the eternal security of the believer because when God says you're his child, that is a permanent relationship. And we don't have to get up every day and wonder if God's going to keep that promise. God keeps his promises. Now, if we look at this particular covenant here in Nehemiah chapter 9, I want to just refresh your mind about what the book of Nehemiah is about because it's so relevant to what we're talking about. Nehemiah was, when he wrote this, Nehemiah had been a cupbearer for the king of Persia. His name was Artaxerxes. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. When Nehemiah heard about what was going on in his homeland in Israel, particularly in the capital city of Jerusalem, he was troubled. The reason Nehemiah was in Persia was because the children of Israel had been taken captive. They had been removed from their homeland as an act of God's chastisement in their life. They'd been taken away by the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And the, the Persian Empire had, had replaced the Babylonian Empire. 
And so Nehemiah hears hundreds and hundreds of miles away, Nehemiah hears about what's going on in his homeland and it crushed him. He was so distraught that when he, before the king, the king says, what is, what's the cause of your sad countenance? And he explained it to the king. And the king said to Nehemiah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna authorize you, permit you to leave, go back to Jerusalem. I'm gonna give you material to use and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you permission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. That's what this book of Nehemiah is about. It was a great, it's a great testament. It's a great testimony. It's a wonderful story. And so he writes this book, and as he writes this book, he de de declares many things in here that we won't look at today. He actually gives us the names of many of the people who went with them on this journey. He gives us the names of those who opposed him. You might remember these names, Samballat and Tobiah and Geshem. These were enemies. They were critics. They were always trying to discourage and hinder Nehemiah. Nehemiah kept building. As a matter of fact, one of the things he got the people on board was he showed them what he believed God wanted to do and they made a commitment to him and said in these words, let us rise up and build. And they began to build. And as they were built, they were criticized, but they continued to build. And you see an interesting verse of scripture in Nehemiah where it says in chapter six, the wall was finished. What an accomplishment. The wall was finished. A very significant, let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. A, a very significant occurrence in Nehemiah 8 had to do with something that could only be done after they made this much progress in Jerusalem. And it says in verse, where Nehemiah, six, Nehemiah what did I say, book did I say? Let's say Nehemiah 8. Did I say 8? In Nehemiah 8, look at with foot Please, in verse 4, we'll just look, highlight a couple of verses. Nehemiah 8, 4, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood. In five, verse 5 it says, Ezra, standing on the pulpit of wood, Ezra the scribe opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and when he opened it up, all the people stood up. He has the book of the law. Now, now, they're, now they're back in Jerusalem. Now the walls have been built. Now they're in their homeland. Now they have a scribe standing up on a pulpit opening the book of the law. Verse 8 it says of Nehemiah 8. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. So that, that kind of brings us up to speed on what's going on in Nehemiah's life when we get to Nehemiah chapter nine. They're home, the walls have been built, they have a pulpit, the scribe is standing with an open Bible, the people are standing in honor of the Bible as he reads the word of God. And if we had time and we don't, I would read through chapter 9 and just see how God, he just rehearses all that God has done. In Nehemiah 9, he talks about how God made a covenant with Abraham, how God allowed them to go into Egypt, how that God divided the Red Sea and getting them out of Egypt. He just details many of these highlights of their history. He talked about their uh, following this pillar of fire during the day and the cloud of uh, by day in the fire by night, how they betrayed God on Mount Sinai, how they built a golden calf. All these things are written in there until you get to verse 38, and that's where we begin. And because of all this, 
Because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it and our princes and Levites and priests. All that I can get out of this is Nehemiah, I believe, led by common sense, but also led by spiritual zeal, said God's been so good to us and we feel obligated to make a commitment back to God, a sure covenant with God. Now, who was involved in this covenant? Look in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 38. It lists them. It says, the princes, Levites, and priests seal into it. And beginning in chapter 10, he actually documents who these people were. Look in verse 1 of chapter 10. Now, these that sealed were, the first name is Nehemiah. And then he lists a lot of others. Look in the last part of verse 8. It says these were the priests. These were the names that were written in this sealed document, these priest names. Beginning in verse 9 of chapter 10, he lists the Levites, gives their name, down through verse 13. Then if you look in verse 14, it lists the name of other leaders, the chief of the people. These were other people who were respected leaders, not the Levites and not the priests, but the chief of the people, beginning in verse 14. All these different people made this covenant. All these different people signed this covenant. All these different people had their names documented and sealed. And by the way, it's, it's, to me it's an illustration, it's an example it's a, a pattern. I mean, leaders, to me, ought to lead the way when it comes to commitment. The priests made their commitment. The Levites made their commitment. The rest of the leaders, the people, made their commitment. But that brings us to verse 28. If you'd look there, if you would, in Nehemiah 10 and 28. And it begins with these words, and the rest of the people... I have that phrase highlighted in my Bible. And the rest of the people, he lists the priests then, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nethanims, and the next word is all. All they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding. So who was, who was a part of this commitment? Well, first of all, it was Nehemiah and the other priests. Then it was the Levites. Then it was the princes, the officers. But now it's the what we would just say the rest of the people. And he, lists, he, he makes sure God in, included this in such a way that we couldn't say, well, it, these, it wasn't the wives. No, he says the wives were involved too. Their sons were involved. Their daughters were involved. And then a very descriptive phrase at the last part of verse 28, it says, everyone having knowledge and having understanding. Everyone who was old enough to understand what was going on was a part of this commitment. And that's the thing today that really stands out to me is this, this is what, this is what we see about the the leadership of Nehemiah in getting people 
to make a commitment and to sign to it. Imagine this. Imagine today, and this we're not going to do this today, so just chill, take a deep breath. But let's just imagine today that I were to ask you to make some kind of a serious commitment to God, a serious commitment. Maybe a commitment to read your Bible every day. Maybe a commitment to be in church every time you're physically able to be there. Uh, maybe a commitment to pray regularly or to support missions. What if I were to ask you to make that kind of a commitment? Not just me, not just the leaders, but every person. Make that kind of commitment and, and, and just don't just make the commitment. Come up here and sign a document. And not just sign the document, but know that we're going to put a seal on that document so one day your children and your grandchildren could read the document and see this is the way my grandfather committed to obey God. This is the way, that's exactly what's taking place in this passage. And, you know, keep this in mind. Israel was notorious for disobeying God, right? I mean, they were well known for their betrayals to truth. They would worship idols. They would follow, they would, they would, get involved in relationships with the Canaanites that weren't pleasing to God. The reason, the reason they went to Babylon was not because of anything Babylon had done. It wasn't because of the greatness of Nebuchadnezzar's army. The reason they went to Babylon was because they were so backslidden that God allowed them to become taken captive. And now they're not in Babylon. Now they're back in Israel. And, and Nehemiah is saying, I think it's high time. God brought us here by his faithfulness. God brought us back to this place. And I think we ought to return by making a commitment to God. People are reluctant to make commitments. You may have never noticed that. I see it often. You know, people like to think about commitments. People aren't afraid to discuss commitments. But people are very reluctant sometimes to make commitments. Even commitments to God. That's not a good thing, by the way. We ought to make commitments to God. By the way, just so you know, our commitment to God is not what saves us. What saves us is his commitment to us. Amen. And we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him only for our salvation. And you don't have to sign on anything to go to heaven. Because it's a free gift, eternal life is, to all who come to Christ. But that doesn't mean we should not be committed people. I, I appreciated the song, the special song about, you know, if I should, you know, how we complain sometimes, we mourn about how difficult it is. But then it might be good to remember what Jesus went through for us. We want him to, I want him to be committed to me. And I know he is committed to me. But he has every right to expect me to be committed to him. I think most of us would agree with that. So this is what this is about in Nehemiah's day. Now, in the next little bit, I want to I take in Nehemiah chapter 10 and just briefly mention the things that they were committing to. We've talked about the importance of a commitment. We've talked about the people who made the commitment. It wasn't just the princes and Levites and priests. It was all the people, even the kids. What were they committing to? In verse 28, it says, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nethanims, 
And all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God. They, their commitment had to do with their testimony about who they were. It had to do with their identity. It was like they were embracing the fact that we, we, are, not, we are in Israel. We're in this land in the, surrounded by the Canaanites. But we're not of this place. God is our God. And, and these people are not our people, but God's people are our people. It was a commitment to their identity. They were in this region known as Canaan, but they were not of Canaan. They were a separated people. That's the language used in verse 28. They separated themselves from the people of the lands. So these, you know what? When I look at Israel and I see who they are, they're the people of God. They're the recipients of the promises of God, the, the call that God gave to Abraham, the covenant God made with Abraham, and they're not of the land. They're a different group of people. But you know what? When I see God's people, I see the same thing in our lives. We're not to be of this world. That, that, that automatically creates a conflict in people's minds because they want, they want to go to heaven, they want to, be, they want to be God's people, but they also want to belong in this world. This world is not our home. We're pilgrims passing through this. We're not, to, we're not to love this world. Love not the world. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And you know, just as Nehemiah brought these people to a commitment that, that embraced their identity and the fact that they, we are not of this world, I think Christians ought to make the same kind of a commitment to God. We're not going to be of this world. It may be a struggle. We may, we may feel like we're swimming upstream all the time. We may feel like we're oddballs in this world, but we are not of this world. This world didn't do anything for us. This world didn't save us. This world can't give us life. We belong to another world. Our, we're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. It was a commitment to their identity, to their testimony. But look with me, if you would please, to the same area, the same neighborhood. Look in verse 9. It says, as a part of their commitment, they clave to their brethren. Each one of these commitments really could be deserving of a sermon in and of itself, but they clave to their brethren. The word clave means they fasten themselves. They attach themselves. It's not difficult in a human level, on a human level, to understand why they kept going away from God to idolatry is because they made too close friendships with those that were in the world. We see that in the Old Testament. It's easy to find it and read it in the Old Testament. They're saying here, we're going to clave to one another. It's to be attached to. We heard about that this, this morning a little bit in the Sunday school class where, we set, where we're learning in 1 Peter to honor all men but to love the brethren, love the brotherhood. We have a lot of acquaintances in the world, people where you work, people where we live, neighbors, even extended family. 
But, if, but everything we understand about the Bible tells us we ought to have a special relationship with God's people. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. By the love you have for one another. A commitment. How, commitment, how committed are you, first of all? Let's just, let's just make an application. How committed, first of all, are you to your identity as a child of God, as a separated from the world child of God? Is that who you are? Are you committed to that? How committed are you to the body of Christ, to the brethren, to brothers and sisters in Christ? How committed are you? There's a third thing we see in our text. Look in verse 24. They clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath. That's another way of saying a covenant or a commitment. Entered into an oath. Well, look at this. Verse 29. I hope you're looking at that. To walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his judgments and his statutes. Now that is a mouthful. They signed to this. What are they signing to? We're going to walk in God's law. We're going to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his judgments and his statutes. What a commitment. We're going to observe and do all of God's commandments. Whatever God says, that's what we want to do. Whatever the Bible teaches us, that's what we're going to embrace. By the way, isn't it easy for you to make the connection between what they were expecting of themselves and what we should expect of ourselves? And what is that? That we ought to obey the Word of God. That we ought to be committed to obeying the Word of God. The Bible is our authority. The Bible teaches us how, why we need to be saved. The Bible teaches us how to be saved. The Bible teaches us how we're to live. The Bible teaches us how we can please God. It's all in the book. We should all expect. We should all expect our leaders to be committed to the Word of God. Right? When I, was a, when I wasn't the pastor, I expected my pastor to live obediently to the Word of God. And if you're a Christian and, a, you have, and you're still at home, you have parents at home, you, you ought to expect your parents as leaders to live by the Word of God. Right? I'm not saying they always do, but you have reason to expect that. If they say they're saved, they ought to live by the Word of God. But this wasn't just the leaders. It was all the people. We're going to be committed to living by the word of God. I'll tell you, there is, there is such a need in our day and age of a revival among God's people just to say, God did so much for us. We're going to do everything in our power with God as our helper to live by the word of God. There's another commitment we read of in verse 30. It says... And they would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. I said earlier, every one of these, every one of these commitments is worthy of a lot of attention. We won't take the time for that. But this was a commitment to God's plan for the family. We're going 
We're going to live, we're not going to, we're going to allow our daughters to marry the people of the land. We're not going to take the daughters for our sons. What a need there is in our day for, by the way, Judah had been very disobedient in this. We don't have the time to look at it, but if you can look later in this chapter, it spells out exactly how they had been disobedient in this area of their journey. But, the, but really, we ought to be committed to God's plan for our family. God's plan for our family doesn't just mean that we get married and have children. That's a part of it. It means we're to train our children. It means that we're to be the leaders to our children. It means that dads and husbands are to be, be leaders in the home. We need a commitment to God's plan for the family. Not, to the, not, not for the world's plan, but for God's plan. And then... Another important commitment they made, verse 31. It says, And if the people of the land bring ware of any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, we, should not, we would not buy it of them or the, on the Sabbath or on, the, or on any of the holy days or on the holy day. They made a commitment to the, the worship of God on the Sabbath. The Lord's day was going to be respected as far as they were concerned. Now, I hope you know this. It's taught, has been taught from this pulpit for many years, decades, that we're not under the Sabbath. We don't worship on the seventh day of the week. Matter of fact, I have such a strong, strong belief, doctrinally, biblically, that the early churches began at the resurrection of Christ to worship on the first day of the week as their primary day of worship. And we observe that. That's why we're here today. It's not because it's tradition. It's biblical. We don't, we're not under the Sabbath. There are religions out there even today that believe if you don't observe the seventh day worship that you can't go to heaven. That you're, We're not under the Sabbath. But the day that we worship, the first day of the week, please listen carefully to this. It's not a, this is not obeying the Sabbath. It was called in the New Testament, in the Bible, the Lord's Day. John was on the Isle of Patmos in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. You know what makes the first day of the week is not like any other day of the week. That doesn't get a lot of amens because people like to just come to church on Sunday and then treat the rest of it like it's any other day. That's not, what, that's not God's best. It's the Lord's Day. I know sometimes people have jobs. They don't have any choice about it. They have to work on the Lord's Day. We understand that. I'm talking about just electing to make, this, make Sunday just like any other day of the week. It's not to be like any other day of the week. This was a commitment these people made. You know why? That's one of the primary reasons they ended up in bondage was because of not observing the Sabbath, the day devoted to God and to rest and to worship. One last thing. We see their commitments in verse, verse 32 and following. I'm just going to mention this. In verse 32, it says, also, he continues. By the way, I would urge you to study this passage. This whole chapter is just a, it's an, such an outstanding example of what Nehemiah led these people to commit to. But verse 32, we make ordinances for us to charge ourselves yearly with the third part of the shekel for the house, for the service of the house of our God. They said, we're going we're gonna to establish this giving for the service of the house of our God. In verse 33, it continues. 
what it's about. For the showbread, continual offering. Look at the last part of verse 33. For all the work of the house of our God. So this would be the, the next commitment. The one I said we're going to look at today. There was a commitment not only to the Lord's day, but to the Lord's house. To the Lord's house. Giving to maintain the house of worship. And if you look in verse 34, here's an interesting thing. Uh, cause you to sharpen the chain on your chainsaw or sharpen your axe. It says, and we cast the lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for the wood offering. Now, don't bring a wheelbarrow full of wood tonight. Well, you might bring it. We'll give it to one of our people who heat with wood. But there are the people, all the people, the priests, the Levites, the people for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God after the houses of our fathers at times appointed year by year to burn upon the altar of the word of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. Part of their commitment to the Lord's house was they took turns cutting wood, splitting wood, bringing wood to use at the altar. Where does that wood come from? They couldn't stop by the convenience store and buy a bundle of wood. They would all, everybody's contributing. Everybody's doing it. Here's the point I want to see. In all of these commitments, everybody was committing. Not just, the, not just Nehemiah, not just the leaders, not just the priests, not just, not just the princes or officers, but everybody was committing. Everybody was committing to do these things. Everybody was committing to raise their families right. Everybody was committing to, the, to worshiping on the day the Lord selected. Everybody was committing to the Lord's house to sustain the house of God. And this, this particular point in verse 34 continues all the way through to the end of chapter 10. It talks about their first fruits in verse 35 to bring the first fruits of our ground in verse Verse 37, to bring the tithes of our ground. And verse 38, to bring the tithes into the house of our God. All these, all these are the people's commitments. And then notice how he ends this great, great chapter in verse 39. The last few words. We will not forsake the house of our God. Now, a person could read this and really not connect with the significance or the importance of it. But I think one of the most important ways to things to understand is Nehemiah knew how these people had a record, a track record, a history of saying we're going to obey God and then not doing it. It was a part of their lifestyle. It was a part of their background. And so Nehemiah said we're going we're to nail it down. We're going to write it down. We're going to put our names on it, and we're going to put a seal on it. We're going to make this as important as we can possibly make it. Now, we're not living in Nehemiah's day, obviously. But I don't think we would fall far behind in this matter of saying, you know, we need to make and keep commitments to God. You know this. It's not unusual. Our young people are here. Some of our teenagers are here. It's not unusual for them to go to a camp. They hear some fiery preaching. They make some commitment. I'm going to do this. May last a week. May last a lifetime. Most of the time it doesn't. It's easier. It's, it's not easy to get somebody to make a commitment, but it's even harder to get somebody to keep a commitment. 
Nehemiah says we're going to be committed. We're going to be committed to the Word of God. To not just to have a Bible in our hand. We're going to be committed to living by the Word of God. We're going to be committed to each other as God's people. We're going to be committed to the Lord's Day. We're going to be committed to raising our families right. And I, I would suggest to you today that every one of these commitments that Nehemiah led the people to make would be worthwhile commitments for every one of us to make. Young people here who are thinking about one of these days I'm going to get married. Hoping that somehow by God's good grace there will be somebody in the world that will take me. You know what? You, ought to, you, know, you know how you ought to be looking for? You ought to be looking for someone who loves God. Amen. Someone who's committed to the Lord, to worshiping God, loving God, serving God. Not just somebody that's popular, not just somebody that's handsome, not just somebody that's beautiful. You say, Why? What, if, what if that person doesn't exist? God, we ought to be committed to living by the word of God. And by the way, that starts in the family. It's not just the church's business to make these things matter. It's the family's responsibility. So this is how I make this parallel. And I'll close with this. Nehemiah, they had relocated back from their place of bondage to Israel. They had not only relocated, but they had rebuilt the walls of the city. The, the protection is there. The, the temple itself is being reconstructed. And they're far enough along even that, Nehemiah, that Ezra the scribe stood up with a Bible in his hand. Not the Bible like we know, but the Word of God, the scrolls of God. Stood up and, and began to read from those scrolls. So you've got, you've got the people. You've got the place you've got a finished facility you have the pulpit ministry he was on the pulpit but i want to tell you today that's not all it takes to make a strong ministry it takes people who are committed to god it takes people who are on board to say we're going to live by the word of god we're going to follow god's commands we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to endeavor to live separated lives. We're going to be committed to each other. We're going, to, we're going to be committed to walking in God's truth and building families that are strong in the Lord and honoring the Lord's day and being faithful to the worship of God and giving and serving for God's work through the church. That's exactly what is needed. I don't like to see a church... Without a pastor, I don't think it's healthy for churches to be without a pastor for very long. But I think it's a very big mistake for people to think that the preachers ought to be super committed to the things of God. But it's okay if the people are not. That's foreign to the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament. Amen. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. I said we were going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to write all these things out on a piece of paper. We've got someone here who's, who will be able to, uh, what's that called when you seal it? Notarize it. 
We're going to have a notary here to make sure you. this is a serious commitment. You know what's really sad today? And I'm going to end on a sad note. It's possible for people to hear everything we see in the Bible today and walk out of the building and do nothing about their spiritual commitment. Nothing. Be no more committed when they came or when they left than they came. And I'll tell you, God wants more of that. God, God has every right to expect you and I to be fully committed to God's plan. And if you're here today and you're not saved, you can't save your soul by being committed to anything. You can't save your soul. Only Jesus is the Savior. But you know who he saves? Those who have come to him in true repentance and faith and put their faith and trust in Christ. And if you're not saved today, if you're not saved today, that's what you need. And you ought to come today and say, this is what I need. I need Christ in my life. Let's stand together, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'm going to pray in just a moment. Everyone's standing, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Would you think about this phrase as I repeat the phrase that's found in that last verse of chapter 9? We made a sure covenant, a sure, fixed, specific covenant. I wonder how many here today you say, well, that's, that's something I should do. I'm not going to raise your hand, but you ought to think about that. Maybe some commitment you need to make before God. Maybe some commitment you've made to God and you haven't kept. I think we ought to make commitments to God, and I think we ought to keep the commit commitments we've made to God. And if in some way we've neglected them, today would be a good day to say, Lord, I want to I just want to renew my, this commitment I've made to you. Maybe about serving the Lord. Maybe about some area of ministry. Maybe about your family, leading your family. Right now would be a good time to do that. Our Father, as we pray today, I want to thank you for this very meaningful portion of your word. God, we live in a day, as you know, when commitments are so rare, so shallow, not taken seriously. God, we want to take our commitment seriously, our commitment to you, our commitment to your word, our commitment to one another, our commitment to our family, our commitment to your work. Lord, thank you that you let us live in such a challenging era as we live in today. Would you work in our hearts today? Would you work in our hearts as parents, as leaders, young people that are here?